Okay, so First um, Peter tonight, Lord willing, next week um, will be in Second Peter. We're going to actually combine it with a little book of Jude. We'll skip over the John boys <laughs> for uh, a week, and then maybe come back to First, Second, Third John the week after that. But Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter and Jude have some similarities uh, there, and uh, we're, we're going to look at those two books uh, the same night. Uh, so. And they're both not that long. Well, Second Peter is three chapters. And Jude, of course, is just one. So Lord willing, that'll be next week. But tonight, let's look at First Peter. First Peter um, is a uh, book of five chapters. Uh, it's interesting how many of the um, little epistles after Paul finished, uh, or after we have Paul's letters after Philemon, then there's Hebrews, James, First Peter, and First John, all three of those have five chapters. So tonight we're going to look at First Peter and uh, look at the five chapters there. Um, we, we usually have a phrase or a word. In this case, we've got three words uh, that describe First Peter. Um, and both of them are really the same thing, if you think about it. And there is faith tested um, or suffering. Um, Peter talks about suffering in there, but he talks about the trial of your faith, uh, which happens through suffering. And so there's similarities between First Peter and the book of James that we looked at um, last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, we took a break last week with Valentine's. So uh, there's a, uh, some similarities with James when it comes to talking about suffering and talking about temptation and faith tested. And so uh, this has been called by some the Job of the New Testament. As you know, we're, we're looking at on Sunday mornings, kind of alternating a couple of different series right now. And Lord willing, this Sunday we'll be back talking about Job. Uh, Lord, I have a problem, and this will be the third one. Uh, in that series, but um, it's been called the Job of the New Testament because it talks about suffering and faith being tested. It was written, of course, by Peter. First Peter was written by Peter uh, around the time about 60 A.D. It was about the time that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, which would be on uh, maybe on or in between the first and second missionary journey of Paul. But anyway, Peter wrote it roughly about 60 A.D., which would be... Um, maybe a, a few years before, before he was martyred, as well as a, uh, before P, uh, Paul was martyred also. Uh, so that's roughly the date in which it was written. Quick outline uh, of the book, just three basic divisions of the book, and then we'll break it down a little bit more, and then we'll look at some highlights as we always do. First chapter talks about suffering in the life of the believer in general, and um, talks about what, how the Lord works in our lives through that suffering. Then chapters 2 through 4, 2, 3, and 4, the, the, the middle three chapters, are about suffering and our Savior. Um, we'll see in there how our Savior suffered for us. We'll see in those chapters how our Savior goes with us through our suffering. And so uh, suffering and our Savior. And then the fifth chapter, uh, the, the third part of the, the third of the outline, major outline, is suffering in light of the second advent or the second coming of Christ. Chapter 1, so I'm going to break this down a little bit farther through, um, let me see, yeah, just use these two slides here. Break this down a little bit more per chapter. The first chapter there is, in that suffering, there is the call to be holy. Now some of these verses I'll probably read more than once tonight, probably twice. But look with me at um, chapter uh, 1 and verse 15 and verse 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation. And again, we see how in the, in the, uh, in 
this, in the Old English here, that word conversation uh, is a, a word that means not just what we say, talking. We think of, we use the word conversation today in that, in that meaning, but there's, there was a double meaning to it in that day. And um, it's the word conversation not only means what we say, but our daily walk, our daily living as well. So it says to be holy in all matter of conversation. And then he quotes in verse 16, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Uh, because at his, as it is written, and he's quoting from there, be ye holy for I am holy. God's called us to be a holy people and we'll see in just a moment we are a separated, a, a, a peculiar people. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and we'll highlight this in just a little bit. It talks about Jesus as our cornerstone. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And remember we said chapters 2 through 4 talking about the suffering in, in relation to our Savior. Again, either His suffering or his suffer, or our suffering, and He endures that suffering with us. In verse 11 to 25, you, we see... Um, the, the word submit in here, and it's used in, in more than one uh, context. In fact, it spills over actually on into chapter 3, but it talks about in verse 11 to 25, learning to submit, to submit to authority, those in uh, authority over us, and we'll highlight that in just a little bit. And then chapter 3 talks about husbands and wives, and it talks about wives to be in subjection to their husbands starting in chapter 3 and verse 1. Then we go to uh, continue on. You notice in here chapter three. Well, chapter two is broke down, broken down two ways. Broke down, broken down two in two sections. But chapter three is broken down in three: husbands and wives. Starting at verse eight of chapter three, verse twelve, moving moving toward practical holiness. That is practical uh, daily living um, to live um, in obedience to the Lord, live more like the Lord, to live godly. And then chapter 3, verse 13, uh, roughly a little over halfway through the chapter, going through um, all of chapter 4, and that talks about suffering for the right reasons. And so, uh, as we'll see in just a, a little bit, uh, sometimes it's the will of God for us to go through some suffering in our life. Uh, Job did. Uh, Paul did. Everybody in Scripture somewhere went through some kind of suffering, and we'll see that uh, suffering uh, that should be done, if it's done, it should be always for the right reasons. We'll look at that a little bit when we get to that section. Then there's a breakdown of chapter 5 into, um, we break it down into two sections. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, instructions to elders. That's another name for pastor. If you remember when we talked about First uh, Timothy and we talked about in Titus, that word elder is also the word bishop or the word pastor. They're all the same word relating to the pastor of, of a church. So uh, there's some instructions there. And then the rest of the chapter, five verse, verse 5 through verse 14, more about practical holiness and practical daily Christian living, being like our Savior, living like our Savior would have us to live. So that's a breakdown of the five chapters. And uh, again, um, chapter 1 is, is uh, all kind of by itself that we break down two into two parts, then chapter 3 into three parts, or well, 3 and then including chapter 14, and then chapter 5 into two parts. Okay, we see here, uh, right off the bat, we'll, we'll look at in verse 2, another verse about the Trinity. We've seen some of these in some of our recent, in, in our studies in some of the other letters. We looked in uh, the book of Hebrews, we found a reference to the Trinity. And so we see another one here in 1 Peter. We'll see another one when we get to 1 John. But we see all three in one verse. In fact, let's start at verse 1 and read down through verse 2. Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now put a pin in that. Lord willing, next week, if we're, if we're here for the uh, next study uh, next week, in 2 Peter, you'll notice he begins his letter just a little bit different. And we'll talk about that next week, just to throw out a uh, attraction of things to come. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We'll come right back to that in just a moment. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. There's the Father. Through sanctification of the Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, there's Jesus, God the Son, Jesus. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. So we see all three persons of the Trinity there in one verse. The Father and uh, changes the order here. We usually uh, think of the next one being, of course, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But he talks about the Father, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, Jesus Christ. But backing up to verse 1 for just a second, I didn't make any notes on this, but it's kind of in reference to two weeks ago when we talked about in the book of James. He writes to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Well, Peter writes, look what he says in verse 1, to the strangers. Now, we as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we're strangers in a strange land. We're, we're pilgrims. We're walking through... Um, they're walking on, on this planet Earth till God calls us home. So this world is not our home. This is not our permanent home. This, we're just passing through, just as the old song says, it's very correct. Uh, and so it ceases to the strangers, look, and he mentions some places, uh, geographical places. Pontus, I believe that's mentioned in the book of Acts. Galatia, that's definitely in the book of Acts. In fact, Paul wrote a, a letter to the Christians at Galatia. Cappadocia. Asia, which is a huge region, that's a, you know, a continent, a huge region, actually would be more talking about the western part of Asia um, and Bithynia. And so these, these, I believe all of those are found in the book of Acts. And again, like we said in the book of James, when James started his letter, he writes to the ones that are scattered because persecution has scattered those believers everywhere. Um, you notice Jerusalem's not mentioned there because believers that were there in Jerusalem, they were scattering everywhere at this point and taking the gospel with them when they went. And so he writes to the uh, believers who are scattered. So unlike Paul, who writes directly usually to a, a region that would have a church like to the believers at Rome, to the church at Corinth, to the church of, at Philippi, um, uh, Peter writes to... Um, it's more what we call a general epistle because it's not written actually to a church, even though it's written to believers. And we're called strangers there. And it says uh, scattered out through, throughout Asia Minor, throughout the region there. But we see in chapter 1, verse 2, the Trinity uh, in one verse. There are some precious things in 1 Peter. Look with me at verse, chapter 1 and verse 7. Let's let our fingers do the walking here. We've got, I think there are two or three slides here. Uh, two slides, I think. There are about five things, if I remember right, that are precious in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, verse 7. This is one of the key verses to the whole book. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So Paul said, or excuse me, Peter says the trying of our faith, the trial of our faith, it's precious. And it's more precious even than gold. Gold will one day perish. Gold is something that people fight over now. People collect, they try to keep, and, and they try to bank it up. And it's not that that's a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. But it says even that's going to perish one day. 
Gold won't always be here, but the trials that we go through, the Lord's working in our life. Lord willing, in fact, this Sunday we'll be uh, talking about that a little bit more from uh, the life of Job. But um, the trials that we go through in our life, the Lord's going to reward those at the judgment seat of Christ, depending on how we go through those and face those in our life. Chapter 1 and verse 19, our next precious thing. But with the pressure, well, backing up verse 18, it talks about we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, so the blood of Christ, of course, is precious. There in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. If so be, you've tasted the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is indeed Himself. He's precious. Chapter 2, verse 6. The next two are in the same chapter, right next to each other. Now, verse 6. Wherefore also is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, right here. I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Again, Jesus is precious. Chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is Precious, but to them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as the head of the corner. So, um, again, three times right there in that chapter, all three of those refer to Jesus himself being precious. So, the trial of our faith is precious. The blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us, that washes us, that redeems us, that purchases us, it's precious. And, of course, three right there together, back to back, tell us that Jesus himself indeed is precious. All right, now there's, there's a theme amongst all the suffering and the practical um, instruction that Peter gives us here in this book. Um, he also talks about the importance of maintaining a good testimony as a Christian, to maintain a good testimony before the Lord, before lost people, before other believers. Chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, um, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're a chosen generation. Uh, we've been chosen as God's people in the New Testament. God chose Israel in the Old Testament. They're his people you know, in the Old Testament. Uh, but we're chosen for the New Testament times, the church age. Now, we didn't replace Israel we're a separate group from Israel. Um, although in Christ, the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, because when a person gets saved, a Jew spiritually, although physically their body may be, they may be Jewish in their birth, if they're saved, they're in the body of Christ. They're part of the church. A Gentile, which is anybody that's not a Jew, when they're saved, uh, physically, biologically, they may be a Gentile, but spiritually they're in Christ. And so we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We don't need a priesthood. Uh, we, are, we are a royal priesthood. We're priests unto ourselves. Our great high priest is the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, he's our great high priest. But we're a royal priesthood. So there's indeed a doctrine that is called the priesthood of the believer. We don't need to go to a... Um, to a, 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 a church or a priest or anyone like that to tell us what the Scripture says. Now, God uses pastors and teachers to explain and help us apply the Word, to preach the Word to us, which the Scripture commands us to do that. 
but we are a priesthood. We can understand the word ourselves. We don't need someone, uh, and we'll see that also in 1 John. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to 1 John. A royal priesthood, we're a holy nation. Now, we're not a nation geographically. Um, we're, we're not a nation like Israel is a nation because as Christians, God doesn't give us the physical blessings of a land uh, like he will give, give Israel in the millennium. He doesn't give us those things because our, spirit, our blessings are spiritual and they're in Christ. The book of Ephesians, especially in chapter 1, uh, tells us a good bit about those blessings in Christ. We have spiritual blessings. So does that mean that they're not actual because they're not literal like piece of lamb? No, they're just as literal, just as real. It's just that they're spiritual blessings, many of which we enjoy now, but all of which we'll enjoy in heaven, in God's presence. So um, we're a peculiar people, holy nation, peculiar people. Um, peculiar usually means something strange. Well, if you're saved, at some point the world's going to think you're strange because you're trusting in somebody who died on a cross and rose again. You're trusting in them for eternal life. We're peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him, speaking of Jesus, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We looked at this a little bit when we studied the book of Colossians and Ephesians 2, actually, and talked about how we are called out of darkness. We're now in his kingdom of light. So verse 9 of uh, chapter 2 is also a very good key verse. So maintaining a good testimony, chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conversation. There's that word again. doesn't mean just what we say, but how we live. Your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. So when it says Gentiles there, it's talking about even though when he writes to this, some of them are Gentiles that have been saved. When he uses the word Gentiles there, he's talking about Gentiles that are unsaved, people that have not trusted Christ. And so he says that before them, we are to have a good testimony, a good conversation before them, that even though they may speak evil of us, that they by our good works shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, uh, they'll not be able to bring any accusation toward us. Jesus said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Chapter 3 and verse 16, another verse about a uh, good testimony. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot to compare with that and the one we just read about how uh, those that are evildoers that may say, um, you know, speak against us as believers. And so um, he says there in verse 16, where they speak evil of you. So uh, you see in these verses about our testimony, uh, it's before a world that is um, skeptical about anything to do with God uh, or anything to do with um Christianity or Jesus or anything spiritual. So there's three verses there about maintaining a good testimony in 1 Peter. Let's take the scenic route. Let's look a little bit at the gospel in 1 Peter. He talks a little bit about that. Going back to chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. We read this earlier, but let's read it one more time. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. So even though the word gospel is not found itself there, that is the gospel. We're redeemed. We're purchased by Jesus. Uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, he died for us. He shed his precious blood there on the cross. 
And so uh, the message of the gospel, even though the word gospel itself isn't found in those verses, the message of it is found right there in verse 18 and verse 19. Skip down to verse 21. Who by him do believe in God and raised him up from the dead. So there's the resurrection. It talks about his death in verse 19, his blood that he shed for us. Verse 21, by his resurrection, raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, that we'll trust in him because of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the gospel um, highlighted there in 1 Peter in, in those verses. And also verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So he suffered the just for the unjust. Um, I forgot, I should have put that reference down there, but right next to that, verse 18 of chapter 3, if you're making notes, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the uh, righteousness of God in him. So those are companion verses there. That one with 2 Corinthians 5.21. The just, that's Jesus, the righteous one, died for the unjust, that's us. We were unjust before we were saved. We weren't justified yet until we trust in Christ. But he died for us. Uh, Romans also tells us in chapter 5 um, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So... Uh, the gospel is uh, highlighted there in 1 Peter. Even though we see the gospel found in those places, it is seen in 1 Peter. All right, let's look at this a little bit. Uh, we looked at this a little bit in chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, so we're going to take a little, little more of a scenic route, look at some references here. Chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, and we'll look and see about our stone, our rock. But ye also as lively stones. So we're called stones, and we're lively stones uh, because we um, have been born again from the stone. Let's continue on and we'll see that. Are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. There's that word again. We saw that earlier. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, they offered up literal sacrifices of animals, of, of a lamb or a bullock, goats, something like that. When they offer sacrifices, we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Our sacrifices are prayer, our worship. Even though they worship then, they prayed then. We offer a spiritual sacrifice, not a physical one. Um, so our sacrifice, in fact, Romans 12 tells us to present our body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Uh, continue on verse... Um, six. We're going to verse through verse eight. Pick up verse six. Wherefore, all, wherefore also is contained in the scripture. Behold, and again he's quoting here from Isaiah twenty-eight verse sixteen. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Unto them which be disobedient the stone. There's our word again. The builders disallowed the same as made the head of the corner. And of course we just saw cornerstone verse eight. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So, who is the stone? Well, we're called lively stones, that is, stones that are living, that are alive. But the reason we're lively stones is because of the stone, the cornerstone. Go back with me to Matthew 16, if you will. Matthew 16, speaking of Peter, uh, this is his great confession made 
in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked a very important question. So when Peter uh, wrote those verses in chapter 2 of 1 Peter about the stone, the cornerstone, I'm sure this probably crossed his mind. Matthew 16, pick up at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, which is Elijah, or others Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18, get my page turned here. And I also say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So who is the rock upon whom the church is built? Well, it's not Peter, it's Jesus. Now, um, there are those who teach that when he said this, when he says that you're Peter, verse 18, and upon this rock, he's talking to Peter. The name Peter means the stone. He also has another name. He's named Simon. He's named Peter. And he also has a name of Cephas, C-E-P-H-A-S. That's found actually in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes and, and uses the name Cephas, talking about Peter. So some people have more than one name. Peter had three, Simon, Peter, and Cephas also means a stone. It's from Aramaic, from a, you know, the Aramaic language that, that was used in that day. So both Peter and, and Cephas both being a stone. But Jesus doesn't call him the rock on which his church is built, even though his name's stone. So those who point out and say, well, Peter's name means a stone, so the church is built on Peter, he's a rock, He's the first pope. Well, no, he's not. Thou art Peter, he says, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he tells him, I will give thee the kings of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so that came to pass in the book of Acts whenever uh, the Lord went to, um, or had Paul, uh, or Peter went to the, to the Jews to bring the gospel. Then Paul went to the Gentiles and so Peter had the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but that doesn't make him a pope, and it doesn't make him the one on whom the church was built. The church was built on the Lord Jesus. And we saw these verses a moment ago. We won't go back and read over them, but in 1 Peter, we saw where Jesus is indeed the stone. We looked at those verses just a moment ago. All right, so let's look at, there are two places that Peter mentions the will of God for a believer. In his little five-chapter book, two places he talks about the will of God. We, um, from time to time, you hear people say, well, what is the will of God for my life? Well, some things are individual to the person because the uniqueness of who we are, um, what God calls us to do. But some things are um, in the scripture for every believer. It's the will of God that we um, be saved. It's the will of God that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That is that he controls us in our daily life and living and some others as well. But here, here's two of them in 1 Peter. Look at chapter 2, start at verse 13, down to verse 17. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. We'll come back to that verse in a moment. For so is the will of God, 
What's the will of God? Verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Hard to do sometimes. Um, Especially when you look at the person. We'll come back to that. Verse 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Love all men. uh, Excuse me, honor all men, rather. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So when you see that, it says to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. This is, um, it says there, uh, to submit, to do that um, as a believer. Um, And so it says in verse 15, this is the will of God. We may not like it, but it's the will of God. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. I I don't always like people who are in office, whether it's state, local, or federal. Um, There's some of them I don't like them personally. Um, you know, um, some of the decisions they make, some of them, they never make right decisions. I mean, you know, you go into that. I'm not going to go into that tonight and get all political, but some of them just never make right decisions. I don't think they could do it even by accident, but some of them are just, you know, but that's not what the scripture says. It says, submit yourself. It doesn't say so much to this. It says to every ordinance of man. Now there are limitations, when someone, when, a, when someone in government makes some type of dumb law that goes against what God says, you obey God and you tell them, forget the law. I don't care what the law says, the law is wrong. But now look what Peter says here, verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, honor the king. Do you know who was king when Peter wrote that? Nero. Nero was about half mad. Nero put a lot of Christians to death martyred them, threw in the lion's den, saw them burned up, made them his personal torches for himself. But the scripture says, submit yourself to the ordinance of man. And that's not always an easy thing to do. And there, there are times that we are to realize that we are to obey God and not men. Go back with me to Romans for just a moment. Now the key verse there, we said where it says under government for praise for the pun- or excuse me, sent uh, for the punishment of evildoers and praise of them to do well. That's in verse 14. Now, go hold your place. Go with me to Romans, Romans 13. Verse 1, <clears throat> verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So whether, you know, by hook or by crook, God allowed them to be there in the office they're in. Um, and so it says they're ordained of God because they're put, they're in that office. Regardless, verse 2, whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. Remember what he said in 1 Peter, obey the ordinance, right? And they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. Now, that's not eternal damnation like hell. That's not what that is. That means, that's another word that's very similar to that is condemnation. In other words, if you go against it, you'll pay the price for it. You speed, you're going to get a ticket, you know, and then there are worse crimes than that. But you see my point. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. I remember when I was a little boy in Athens walking around with my dad, when I was probably about, I don't know, four, five, six years old. I remember I was always shy as a kid. I lost it when I was an adult or something, I guess. But anyway, I was always shy as a kid. And um, I was a very bashful kid. And so we were walking one day, one, it's probably a Saturday, and we were probably all going, you know, maybe clothes shopping or something for school or something. But I saw this police officer. And I, you know, I'd seen him before, of course, but I just kind of froze up a little bit. My dad said, son, don't ever be afraid of a policeman. He's your friend. And that stuck with me all my life. And the scripture says right there, it tells us in that verse I just read, uh, they're not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
In other words, uh, if you're doing if you're doing what is right, you should be afraid. But if you're not doing what's right, you should be afraid. But to the evil, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. And that's not to tap you on the shoulder. For he is a minister of God to a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be a subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also for whom they are God's ministers attending continually, continue, excuse me, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So that God tells us in his word that we submit to those that are in authority. It's God's will that we do that. Now, according to what we saw in 1 Peter uh, 2.14 there on the, on the, on the uh, screen is a reference to 1 Peter's, uh, the two verses, uh, one verse there. And in Romans 13 verse 3, government is given for two basic purposes or the ordinances of government or those in authority for two basic purposes. To punish evildoers, which if you do a report card across the nation, there are a lot of D minuses and Fs with, with the way they punish evildoers. Or to praise those who do well. If you do a report card across the nation in different cities, there are a lot of D minuses and Fs for the, for the government there. They don't praise those who do well very often. But nevertheless, the scripture says that's their purpose. To punish evildoers, to praise those who do well. And there's not much leeway other than that, except for the ordinances they give, uh, the, the, the laws that are made. But of course, if a law is made and it's a right good law, you're going to find it somewhere in Scripture or something like it. But if it's something that goes against Scripture, then that's when the Christian has to, you know, realize that sometimes you got to, you might be the three Hebrew children saying we're going to, we're not going to bend or bow, or Daniel saying, you know, I'm going to keep praying. If you throw them in the lion's den, so what? I'm going to keep praying. So um, there are a lot of really dumb laws that have been made in our country and other countries all over the world. Uh, of course, we have governments all over the world that are much different from ours. We have much more freedom. There's no country. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's no country I'd rather live in. There's no greater country on planet Earth than America. With the problems we have, there's no greater country. But nevertheless, the, the Scripture says those are, that's the scope and limit of government right there, is to, reward, to punish evildoers, reward those who do well. And if they did that, they'd be doing their job. And, but unfortunately, they get into a lot of other things that have nothing to do with what government should be doing. Doesn't mean that they're always right. Everybody's a sinner, including any government official. They're a sinner. If they're saved, they're still a sinner. They're a saved sinner. But if they're lost, they're a sinner. And so sometimes we get surprised and shocked at some of the things that some government officials do. On one hand, we should because that means we have some conscience about us and some shame but on the other hand, we shouldn't be surprised. Lost people are lost people, whether they're in government or wherever. And when they do things that are wrong and ungodly, it just proves that they're lost people. And that's what they're going to do. So it doesn't mean they're always right. It doesn't mean that they should ever cause you to do something to disobey God. They're overstepping their boundaries if they do. They shouldn't, it's not, it doesn't mean they should ever be questioned or held accountable. But like that's going to happen. Uh, held accountable for what they do or don't do and it does not mean that, we, that they cannot or should not be criticized. They sure should. They should be. Uh, when they do things that are wrong, they should be criticized. Uh, there's a time in our country where that was, you didn't do that. But, I mean, you're living in a time where so much crazy stuff goes on, you can't help but do it. Now, let's move on. 
Um, the will of God for the believer also is in suffering sometimes. Chapter 3. Let's move on from that. Uh, leave, the, leave the government to themselves. Chapter 3. Pick up at verse uh, 14. But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happier ye. Usually not, but it says to be happy because be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. So, um, sometimes it's the will of God that we go through suffering. But God says that suffering should be for doing what is right, not for doing what is wrong. In other words, suffering for standing up for what is right, just because you get a speeding ticket, you're not necessarily, you might be suffering, your wallet might be suffering, but you're not suffering for doing what is right. So uh, suffer for righteousness' sake. But he gives us a little bit more about the suffering part of it in chapter 4. So he says sometimes it's the will of God. For us to suffer and to suffer for righteousness' sake. Chapter 4, verse 12 to the end of the verse. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Now, if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 7, it says that our faith is tried and it's more precious than gold. Um, that, that is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, and in that day when Peter wrote this, a lot of them were. They, went, they were going through persecution. Reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. That is, if, they, uh, if we go through some suffering for the cause of Christ, they may be speaking evil of the Lord, but the Lord's glorified because... We're enduring that for him. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, and we saw that back in chapter uh, 3 there, or excuse me, chapter 2, we're talking about suffering in the will of God. Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. So, we see that sometimes... Suffering can come our way as a Christian. Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3 verse 12 that uh, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There may be times that we do that, and that may be part of the suffering we go through in our life. But nevertheless, um, suffering, the Lord knows all about it, and He will reward it. All right. Then in chapter 2 verse 2, he talks about the milk of the Word. Um, chapter 2, look at verse 1 and uh, look at verse uh, 2, yeah. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So he talks about babes in Christ, new Christians, new believers. And just as a new baby uh, is uh, growing from milk and gets to the point as that baby grows, we're actually going to talk about this a little more in 1 John, a lot more things in 1 John that we've mentioned tonight. We'll talk about this a little bit more about spiritual growth in 1 John as it talks about developing. So develops from a baby 
to, you know, to goes on into childhood. And as the baby develops and gets a little older and gets teeth and is able to uh, chew something a little more solid as time goes by and then is able to chew, you know, plenty of solid. Now, milk is always good at some point. Um, milk, milk is still good. We need milk for our, our bones. Well, spiritually, sometimes we need milk. Um, whenever, um, whenever you're reading the Bible or when you're here at taught or preach, you don't, always, only, you don't necessarily want things deep all the time. You can't do that all the time. You can't have just the deep meat of the word all the time. Sometimes you need milk to grow by it, uh, no matter what stage you are as a believer. And so uh, over in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1 and 2, Paul uses this um, example about milk and meat on spiritual food, spiritual growth. And he says this, now, in, in, uh, at the church in Corinth, when we studied this back uh, a few months back, Paul had to deal with a lot of problems at Corinth. That church had so many things going on that weren't good. And by the time he wrote his second letter, a lot of those things, they got straightened out, which is a good thing. But he says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3, some of them were just stagnant spiritually. They weren't growing at all. In fact, they were at the point where they were just acting carnal. They were acting worldly, fleshly. Verse 1 and 2, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. Now, if a babe in Christ is a babe in Christ, that's one thing. But he's talking about those who should have grown a little more, matured a little more spiritually, but they weren't. They were still just taking the milk uh, of the word. Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you now yet able. So what he says is, is you're not growing spiritually. And, it's, and as he spells out in the whole book, they had so many problems spiritually they were dealing with. He says, once you do that and start growing spiritually, you can move from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. Uh, one more reference on that is over in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, yeah, 5 verse 13 and 14. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, if someone, again, if someone's a babe in Christ, they're just, you know, haven't been saved long, or, or maybe they've been saved a while, but they haven't grown much because they haven't been taught. That happened to me as a younger believer. There was a long time from the time I was saved till I was really starting to grow. Went, a, went for a good while before I did. And so for a long time, I was at that baby stage, and then I started to grow. Verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who are of their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. So as you grow in the word, you'll grow in, in knowledge of the word, you'll grow in the practice of it and, and applying it and moving from the milk stage of the word to, to the meat stage, something more substantial, things that are a little deeper. Again, you don't want to stay in deep stuff all the time. Um, you, want to, you want to have milk that will help you grow also. Balance it out. Um, I think I copied that one twice. How did I do that? Okay, chapter 3, maybe I went backwards. Chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, we saw this a moment ago. Um, this is a good thing to do as a Christian if you've never done this. Uh, maybe sometime, take some time, and you might, might want to take an afternoon, maybe a Sunday afternoon if you get a little time, or time when you've got maybe an hour or so to think about this. To uh, Chapter 3, verse 15 tells us to be ready to give an answer to any man, to every man of the hope that lies within us. And that hope, of course, is salvation in Christ. And it'd be a good thing sometimes sit down, take time to think through your testimony. When did you come to know Christ as Savior? Um, you may not know the exact date. 
Uh, some people do, some don't. That's not really all that important. It's just to know that you did. When you trusted Christ, maybe, you know, write down the age you were, or if you remember the date, or at least the year, maybe the year and the, and the month, and remember where you were. Maybe you were in a, in a church service or a preacher or an evangelist preached and you got saved. Or maybe someone led you to Christ personally. Or you read a tract, like in my case, you read a gospel tract and you got saved. So it may be, um, you know, wh- whenever it was or however it was, think through your testament, write it down, and be ready to use it in the conversation. The scripture says there to be ready always to give an answer of uh, the hope that lies within us. And so uh, be, all re- be, be ready to do that. Maybe sit down, sit down sometime and think through your testimony. Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be aware of your enemy. Peter writes that as he closes his book in the last few verses. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 5, Be sober, be vigilant. That is, be on the alert, be on the watch spiritually. um, Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So he wants to destroy you, but he can be resisted. The Bible says to resist him in the faith. Um, a lot of places in Scripture that give us some good spiritual um, weapons and some good uh, verses to help us with that. Uh, Ephesians 6 talks about the armor that we have as believers to put on. And uh, the most important thing it tells us in, the, in that chapter 6, before even putting on the armor, he says, Wherefore, stand. Stand having your loins girt about with the truth. Stand, stand, stand. So he can be resisted. Uh, by faith. Of course, he's no match for us by ourselves. We, we, our Savior must, must be the one who fights our battles, but watch out for our enemy. All right, Jesus in 1 Peter, uh, he's called the, remember we looked at the stone and rock verses earlier that we talked about. Um, go back to chapter 5, and verse 1 to 4, I said earlier, is the, um, some instruction and some, some encouragement and, and some direction for pastors. Those are called elders, and another word is pastor, another word is bishop. But he says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So another name for Jesus found there is the chief shepherd. So um, he uh, another title for him found in the book of 1 Peter. Of course, 1 Peter calls him the Lord Jesus Christ, as, as does Paul in his letters. Here's some good um, home address verses to keep in mind. Um, verses to... Um, well, let me see. Did I get that right? Yeah, that was a tune-up. Um, some good verses to memorize. Chapter 1, verse 5, which I don't think we read earlier. Who are kept... Not by our power, how are we kept? Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Good verse about our security in Christ, who we are in Christ, and the fact that He's the one that's keeping us. We're not. Um, he is our keeping power. We're kept by His power. Now, the next ones for, that are great for memorizing, uh, we read earlier verse 18 and 19. Uh, that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, so forth, but by the precious, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Great verse to memorize about um, the gospel and about our salvation. And then chapter five, verse six and verse seven. These are very short verses, but they're great to memorize. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God 
that he may exalt you in due time. Jesus told his disciples, he said, Whosoever humbles himself shall be exalted, but he that exalts himself shall be abased. So it means to be put low. So we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us. But notice what it says there. He'll do that in due time. He'll do it when, when uh, he's ready to, uh, to raise us up. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Great verse, very short verse, but another great verse to memorize. All right, let's stop right there for tonight. Any questions or any input or comments about First Peter? Anybody have? Hopefully next week we'll be in the uh, uh, Second Peter, and then we'll skip over, as I said, to Jude. And then Lord willing, we'll come back to First, Second, Third John. Then we'll have Revelation. Then we're finished. We'll be through cruising. Just for now, though, I hope you'll cruise on your own. We'll be, we'll be through cruising together. And uh, I'm praying about what to do next, so I'm looking at, looking at some, some things to study next after we finish Revelation. All right, let's stand close in prayer. We'll dismiss tonight. Um, Lord willing, we'll pick back up on Second Peter and Jude next week. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the promises of your word. Thank you for what we've seen uh, tonight and what was written down uh, that you inspired Peter to write. Give him for uh, uh, for doctrine, reproof, instruction, uh, correction, instruction, righteousness for us as believers. And this man who um, was a personal called disciple and an apostle that walked with you, the words that he said, Lord, just so amazing. We can think back on Peter and the the life that he lived as a disciple and the times that he denied you. And we can think about those things. But we also see the same one that even after he denied you, um, he, he got things uh, back right with you and you used him in the book of Acts in a mighty way. And then here as he wrote two letters, one of which we studied tonight. We thank you for, for those letters and uh, being able to grow in grace through his words. Pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight, Lord. And uh, hopefully bring us back Sunday to worship you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.